Church, at, at times, I think we need to uh, deal with some things that are going on in the world around us. We need to face some facts about the world that we live in. We live in a sin-infected world. We live in a world that is crippled by disease, a world that is disabled by hate, a world that is paralyzed by depression, a world held captive by betrayal, and a world gripped by racism. Sin's grip and sin's effect on mankind actually seems at times to me (laughs) paralyzing immovable. And sinners and saints alike face the effects of this immovable disease of sin in our lives as humans. But I have good news for you today. There is a cure for the immobilizing disease of sin that's captured our world. The cure strengthens the diseased The cure releases the bonds of hate. The cure carries the depressed. The cure sets free the betrayed. The cure shatters the grip of racism. And in Mark 2, verses 1 to 5, we find that cure. And we also see the effects of that cure. Here in this text, we see that not only the irresistible can move the immovable, but we also see that the irresistible love of Christ moves the immovable through faith and love that is expressed in those who trust in Christ's message and God's mercy. And we see that in the four men that are mentioned in this narrative. So let's look there. Actually, I'm going to read down to verse 12 this morning and focus on verses 1 to 5 in the sermon. Mark 2, 1 Mark writes, And when he, speaking of Jesus, returned to Capernaum, after some days it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no room, no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has exousia, Authority, inherent authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. I am sure they had never seen anything like that before what they're seeing here is the irresistible jesus drawing the immovable sinner near to his heart bringing him healing both physically and spiritually in mark 2 1 to 5 let me give you an outline of what i want to cover this morning what we see here is the immovable sinner We see that the immovable sinner is irresistibly moved when, number one, Jesus' message is proclaimed. When Jesus' message is proclaimed, the immovable sinner is irresistibly moved. Secondly, we see that when, when faith in Jesus is activated, 
the immovable sinner is irresistibly moved as well. And that immovable sinner is also moved when faith is revealed. So we, we see in this text, when Jesus' message is proclaimed and faith in Jesus is activated, faith will be revealed practically in the lives of those who have trusted in him. Now, in Mark 2, 1-2, to what we see is the irresistible drawing the immovable when, number one, Christ's message is proclaimed. And listen, when Jesus' message is proclaimed then or today, this is how God works. Sinners are drawn by the irresistible words of Christ. They're drawn effectually if God has chosen them for salvation. And they will come. And he will raise them up on the last day. But look what it says here in verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days... It was reported that he was at home. Now, he's actually back at Peter's house, back there in the Galilean region in Capernaum. This was Jesus' home base at this time. This is the same place that we read about in chapter 1 that was surrounded by these sick and defiled sinners in need of healing that Jesus spent the entire night with, giving grace to them. They're back now at that home. And that testimony of Jesus' mercy and power has been scattered throughout that region. And so it says in verse 2, here's what happens. Many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And what was he doing? Was, he, was his primary ministry to heal the weak and the wounded and the sick? Or was his primary ministry to bring them eternal healing through salvation, through the preaching of God's grace and his truth? In the word. Well, it tells us here, this is what he was doing primarily. He went forth to preach, and he was preaching the word to them. Here we learn that the irresistible Christ draws immovable sinners, those who are dead in their sins. He draws them through his word and through his power. Mark says that Jesus preached. Now, this is a different word than we normally see used to talk about preaching. Preaching, a lot of times when you think of Jonah's preaching in Nineveh, it was the word, if you looked at it in the Greek, in that Hebrew text, if you looked at it in the Greek Septuagint, you would see that it was the word caruso, which means to proclaim loudly, make a great announcement in the streets. That's not the word that's being used here to talk about the kind of preaching Jesus was expressing here in Peter's home. The word here is leleo, which means basically he was teaching in such a way that it would be described as tender and gently powerful yet controlled it was his tone and matter manner that was being spoken of when we use this word it talks about him addressing them in a very personal and intimate way and telling them the truth bringing to them hope now in a few moments a little bit later i'm going to actually tell you what he was preaching about when he was here at peter's house but Understand this, when he is preaching, it doesn't matter if the tone is gentle and soft or if it is in the street loud and bold. Either way, there is authority in this preaching. One, it's his own words that he's preaching, right? And two, these are the words that God has ordained from the foundation of the world to draw his people to himself with. And so he's here and he's, he's teaching. I'm just trying to paint a picture for you of what was going on. It's, it's, a, it's a house surrounded by people who heard about this healer, and, and he's not out there healing them. He's in there directing them to the truest healing of all, which comes in the heart. And he's tenderly preaching, teaching these people. They're gathered around. They're, I'm sure, hanging their heads in the windows, if you will, trying to hear these words of this precious teacher. And I think at that point, I think there's something that we can learn as, as Christians. I think there's a good example for us on how we should be dealing with people who are surrounding us that are crippled by sin and weak and wounded and need healing. We need to learn a lesson from the Lord Jesus here. We need to speak to them tenderly. There's a time for rebuking them. There's a time for dealing with their sins directly. But let's make sure we approach their heart compassionately. Let's make sure that we're looking at them the way Jesus looks at us with grace and mercy 
when he confronts us in our sins. Aren't you thankful for the Holy Spirit? He still convicts us of our sins. But he doesn't come down with a giant stick and slap us around. He comes down with tenderness. Sometimes a word from a brother or sister in Christ who comes to us and says, I think you need help. Jesus is addressing these people. He's, he's not stripping them down. He's not tearing them apart. He's trying to point them to hope and build them up. We need to tenderly follow his example here. I think as we try to help those who are struggling with life and with sin, we are his ambassadors. And, and I think a great example of what that kind of tenderness looks like is actually illustrated for us in the text in the four men that carry their friend to Jesus. You know, I don't read this account and find friends like Job here, or Job's friends, where they come alongside the crippled man and say, so, um, did you do something bad we don't know about? You probably have a hidden sin someplace. That's why you're crippled. That's why you're a paralytic. They don't do that. They see this man's need. Can you imagine what this man's need would have been like in this time period? Have you ever met anyone that was a paralytic? They have extreme needs today, even with all the technology that we have. There are serious needs that they can't take care of. Could you imagine what it would have been like in this day? This man would have been foul. He would have been hard to handle physically. There would have been a stench about him. He wouldn't have been lovely. He was probably emaciated. He's probably starving. He's probably hungry. And what do they do? They pick him up and they carry him tenderly to Jesus. Now, there's something to be learned in that. I think that magnifies Christ. I think that's what Christ did for us. When we are in our defilement, he picks us up and he carries us. And he calls us to be that kind of ambassador. The kind of ambassador that you see here. Look in in 3 and 4 of chapter 2. It says, These men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. When they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof. We'll go into that in a few moments. We see these men carrying this immovable man to Christ through their tender love for him and their faith in Jesus. See, it's not just their love for the man that brought them to Jesus. It was the testimony they had heard about Jesus and his message that he was proclaiming about hope and about truth and about mercy that he expressed as he cared for these people that he healed They were coming in faith because of Jesus' message. Because his message had hope to heal within it. Look at the second point in Mark 2, 3-4. And here we see that the irresistible draws the immovable when, secondly, faith in Christ is activated. When it's activated. Here we see five men, paralytic included here, being drawn to Christ through faith. Now, the paralytic is being drawn through the faith of the four. He is being carried along. He is the immovable one. He's picturing a person who is dead in their sins and trespasses, who will not and cannot come to Christ on their own. Yet there are four people who are willing to lead him and carry him and direct him in faith to Jesus. Verse 3 says, They came bringing bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him, Because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. When they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. These men moved. This is my point here this morning. Their faith was activated. It wasn't a said faith. It wasn't a head knowledge. It was an active faith. They were activated as God's instruments of grace. You'll see that ultimately in this text. The text isn't about the men. The text is about Christ doing what men cannot do. Yet he's using instruments, his means to the end, are these four men who carry this man along because of their faith in Christ and his message. Here we see the irresistible Christ drawing men to be his instruments by grace and through their faith. Now listen. Have you ever felt that drawing? Have you ever 
felt in your heart that you wanted to go to someone and help them when they were in need? Have you ever longed to help a lost person know the truth about Christ and you went to them and you, you labored with them and you led them and you talked to them, pointed them to Jesus? Has that ever happened to anybody in here? I hope so. And if it has, you should rejoice. You are an instrument of grace. God has chosen us to be his mouthpiece, his hands, his feet here on earth, like these men, to carry those who are immovable to the irresistible, to point them to the glory of Christ. Because in their paralyzed condition, they can't move. And they need us. And we are God's instrument. That's why Jesus doesn't take us home after he converts us. That's why he leaves us here. I mean, I question that a lot. I'm like, Lord, it would have been much better for me just to take me out right then. Take me home. But if you're still here after you're converted, it's because you're here on kingdom business. You're here to be his ambassador. You're here to be his instrument of grace to carry the immovable to Christ. Look at verse 3. They came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Again, God is using means to accomplish his work. The paralytic needed forgiveness. And God even used his own physical need to draw him to Jesus. He also used the faith and love of those men who carried him physically to Jesus. Do you ever think about some of your physical restraints or your dilemmas, or your struggles in life? Do you ever think about these in this light? These may be the very things that God has ordained and is going to use to draw you closer to Christ, to bring you to a place of hope. He may even use a physical need like this, in this case here with this paralyzed man. Look what faith in Jesus activated in these men. It activated compassion. It activated compassion. They, they picked him up. They cared about this man's actual needs. They cared about him personally. Is that what faith in Christ brings out in you? Or are you focused on your own needs all the time? I think that these four men probably had something else to do that day besides fight through a crowd carrying a defiled man to a rooftop to bring him to Jesus. But this is a great compassion we're seeing here. This is what activated faith will produce. If you have real faith in Jesus, it should be coming through things like compassion toward others. It should be expressed. And listen, they didn't just show, G, show the man Jesus by their loving actions. No, they took them to Jesus to hear the truth. So we always bring our loving actions in line with the loving truth as we bring those in compassion to Christ. Secondly, faith in Jesus also activated confidence in these men. Faith in Christ made them confident they actually believed in Jesus' testimony. They actually trusted in the words they had heard about Christ's mercy and authority. All they wanted to do was get near him. All they wanted to do was bring this man to him because they knew if they came to Jesus, they would see this man restored. Their faith gave them great confidence, great trust in Christ. Their faith also activated commitment in their life. These men were committed to doing whatever it took to get this man to Jesus. Is that not convicting? Does your faith, your faith in Christ's ability and Christ's authority and Christ's mercy, does it, does it cause you to do extraordinary things on behalf of others like these men? These men were so confident and committed to Christ, confident in Christ and committed to Christ, that they were, they were willing to vandalize Peter's house. Isn't that amazing? I'm not advocating vandalism, okay? I'm just saying 
Think about this if it was today. If Jesus was at your house preaching and people were all around and no one could get in and there was a man brought and they came with an axe and a chainsaw and began to cut through the roof. I mean, these men were committed. Why were they so committed? Because Christ was so true. They could trust in him. His message was true. His actions were true. He said he loved sinners. He healed sinners. He said he loved sinners. He forgave sinners. They trusted in him. They were committed to him, radically committed to him. Look at verse 4 in Mark. We see activated faith here in verse 4. They removed the roof. Actually, in the, in the Greek text, it says they unroofed the roof. That's what it says. And the word is echoruso. Echoruso. We get an English word from that called excavate. They excavated Peter's roof. They scooped it out, if you will. Look with me at Luke 9. Rather, Luke 5. Luke 5, 19. We see the same account here in Luke with a little more details about the roof, okay? In Luke 5, 19, we see that they're up on the roof. It says, finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. So in both cases, Mark and Luke, we see that they're actually going through this roof, not, not coming to the top of it, opening a, a skylight and dropping him down. No, they're coming to the top of the roof, and they are scooping it out, excavating it. Now, the roofs in these days were made in, in multiple ways. Many times, though, they were layers of dirt on top of sticks with possible tiles, as we see here, tiles on top of that to shed rain. And they were literally chiseling away, pulling dirt out, excavating to get to the Savior. Church, that's, that's violent love. That's violent love for this man that they're expressing. And violent faith in Jesus. I mean, think about this. Do we actually love the immovable lost person so much that we would get this violent for his care, for his cure? Do we love the lost and immovable as much as these men love this paralytic? And, and take that question to a higher degree. Do we have enough faith in Jesus to go to this length to honor him by bringing sinners to him, knowing that he can heal them, knowing that he can restore and redeem them? Now, these are questions that I ask myself as I read this text. And as I read this text, I try to put myself into the text, and I'm trying to think in, in the sense of what it would have been like to have been on the roof. I'm thinking about what it would have been like to have been in the room and then I was thinking about what it would have been like to be Jesus. It's as close as I can get to being Jesus is to think about this. But Jesus as the preacher. How would the preacher of God's holy and inerrant word react to this violent love, this, this excavation, this vandalism in the midst of his preaching? God forbid that the sermon and the preacher gets interrupted while he's preaching because someone brings in a sinner. In need of hope and healing. That's sort of the mentality today. That wasn't the mentality of our Savior and our healer. He seems actually to be impressed by this violent love and this active faith. Matter of fact, I think he seems to be joyful here, even though he was preaching and it was interrupted. I remember Nate preaching, it's been a few years ago, and gentleman came in to visit and he came in the middle of the sermon walked in the front door and then immediately following the gentleman uh, came a dog and came right up here to the front with nate and you know i think i think nate took a glance down at it and then he just continued preaching i thought he was going to preach to the dog to see the dog converted but he continued preaching because preaching was primary and i believe that jesus continued preaching here i don't believe jesus stopped and said Okay, sermon's over. I've been interrupted. My notes are all messed up now. I've got dirt all over my pulpit. He didn't do any of that. He just, I believe he, he just he sees this. He hears this activity. There are people literally all around the building. 
He's seeing this desperate cry for help coming from above, and he is actually continuing on tenderly teaching. I truly believe that. Because what he was teaching was being illustrated on the rooftop. Look at Luke 4, Luke 4.18. This is the context in which Luke 5 comes, which also is connected to Mark 2, to Mark 2. Jesus is saying this. This is what's flowing in his heart and his mind as he's coming into this narrative we have with Mark in this account in our text today. This is on his mind and his heart. I'm sure he's preaching this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's grace, his favor, to proclaim liberty to the captives. I'm sure the paralytic would hear something like that and equate freedom from my paralysis. I believe that the man was coming to Jesus because he had a real desperate need, but he had no idea what his greater need was. And Jesus knew Not only what was in the Pharisees' hearts, he knew what was in this man's heart. And he knew that this man on the rooftop and his friends were illustrating really the very reason that Christ came out at his baptism, which was to preach about his kingdom, authority, and his mercy. And these men are illustrating that through their faith as they break in to this sermon. Do you think that our faith when we actually activate this faith and actually walk in obedience and we're committed and we're compassionate and we're confident in Christ and we live that out, do you think that he's as pleased with us as he was with these guys? Absolutely. Absolutely. It pleases the Lord Jesus when we show compassion like him, when we have confidence in him, when we are committed to him. This pleases him. It pleases him when we act on his message As it is preached, when you hear him speak through preaching, he is still pleased when you respond in faith. It still brings joy to our Savior when you hear a sermon preached and you respond in faith to what was being taught. You're hearing Christ speak. And he is pleased when we are obedient to him. Can you imagine? The paralytic is laying on the rooftop, right? The four men are digging the hole. As the hole begins to get a little bigger and a little bigger, I can just imagine the paralytic, he's laying there patiently and he's leaning his ear in toward that hole because he wants to hear every single word that the Savior is saying. The one who would heal him, he wants to know him. He wants to hear what he's saying. He's leaning in. He's soaking it up. And I believe he was also probably repenting as he was hearing this message. And hearing about what the Messiah would bring. He would bring sight to the blind, to the spiritually blind. And church, listen. I believe that as Christians, that we should far surpass the excitement that this paralytic had on the rooftop. When it comes to listening to Christ speak through his word. I think that we should have a greater desire to hear now that we have been given strength to walk in faith i think now we should be given all of our time and our effort to listening clearly and applying practically the things that we're hearing when preaching is delivered to us as christ is working through it this hour in the word that we gather here and preach this hour should fuel your faith it should move your feet into action this hour in the Word should, should really be the most exciting part of your week because in the preaching of Christ's Word, God is addressing you. God is speaking when His Word is accurately and faithfully proclaimed to you. He is speaking to you. He is washing you. He is equipping you to go into the world and tell those who are immobilized by sin that you know the Healer personally. You know him intimately. He has changed you eternally. That's why this hour is important. 
That's why learning these things about Christ is important to us today. In preaching, we must be moved, I think, to give God praise because he is going to use that preaching to share his grace with others through us as instruments of grace. The preaching of the word should, should warm our hearts as Christians, cause us to be eager evangelists. But it should cause us to be hope-filled evangelists too. You know, I've watched a lot of street preaching. I've watched a lot of um, guys who do evangelism, and, and some guys have got it just down wonderfully. Ray Comfort is a blessing to watch. But I've seen some guys, they just love to beat up sinners. They love to talk about how wicked people are. And it seems like they're never getting to the good news. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to evangelize in hope. As we hear the word preached, it should move us to proclaim to this immobilized world trapped in sin's infection. It should cause us to proclaim that disease and hate and depression and betrayal and racism are not our biggest problems. They're only the symptoms of one great problem, which is sin. And sin has a cure. There is hope for the sinner. Sin is our biggest problem, and faith in Christ can resolve that problem and lead them to find hope when they are struggling with disease, with hate, with depression, with betrayal and racism in this world. Faith in Christ Church, listen, as you grow in the word and you hear the truth and you grow in that in your faith, it should change your perspective about the world's sorrows. We're almost at a point in history as Christians where we're sitting back going, the world wanted this. That's what they're going to get. Let them have it, God. They deserve it. Bunch of reprobates. That's where we're at. I can feel that climate rising. We have to guard against that church. When you read the imprecatory psalms in the Old Testament and you're thinking, that's my enemy, get him, God, you've missed the point. You're the enemy in the imprecatory psalm. And God should have got you, but instead he got his son. We need to be full of hope when we are dealing with people who are struggling with these real issues because at the core of it all is a sin issue that only Christ can heal. And we have that good news to give them. And we need to carry it to them gently and tenderly and compassionately, as these men did here in this account. Faith in Christ should give us hope as Christians in this sin-infected world. It should give us hope practically because we know that He is our healer and our Savior. And we know that He not only heals and saves, He also unites us. We're not alone in this battle. We're united together with Christ's people, the church. And it's in the church that we find a common bond and we find actually the things that we see in these four men. We find compassionate hearts. We find confident saints. We find committed friends who will help us carry this message about Christ to the lost and help carry us to Christ when we are overwhelmed by the symptoms of this world. Listen, as Christians, what do we struggle with? The same things that the world struggles with. We all have one thing in common. We're in our flesh. Disease and hate and depression and betrayal and racism. We all fall into that. We all have struggles with that. We all have to deal with that in our world. And sometimes we can be overwhelmed by all these things, even as Christians, because it seems like they never end. But through God's hope and truth and church, we can keep on going to a sin-sick world. We can keep on going as his ambassadors and lead them to hope in our healer and extend our personal hand to them as Christ's ambassadors. The message we have is a hope-filled message. Our faith in Christ should be expressed like the faith that we see in those men in this text. They had compassion for the paralyzed man. Confidence in Jesus to care for the sinner. And a commitment, a commitment to take sinners to Christ for their good and God's praise. We should respond to the world like these four men in Mark 2. 
by sharing these things with them, by sharing our radical commitment to glorify Jesus and allow it to move us in hope to do great things in his name by moving the immovable as he draws us through faith to trust in his truth. Only Christ can heal the immovable. Only Christ can heal the painful effects of sin on this world. And only Christ has the grace to draw sinners near to salvation. And that's really what this text is all about. It's not about a paralyzed man finding new legs. It's about a man who is dead in his sins and trespasses, given new life. And the, the paralysis illustrates that. Third point in Mark 2, 5 we see that the irresistible draws the immovable when faith is revealed, made manifest. We see it activated when it's actually causing men to move, but then we see the fruit of that, the, the, the revelation of that here actually affecting the Lord Jesus. And it says, and when Jesus saw their faith, isn't that an interesting phrase? Can you see faith? Faith without works is dead. Faith will be evidenced by your works. He saw their faith. He said to the paralytic, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now understand this. He didn't forgive the paralytic of his sins because of someone else's faith. Okay. He granted faith to the paralytic to believe. I believe on the rooftop. I believe on the rooftop. He was somewhere between the rooftop and the ground. He was converted. But he saw the faith of these men and and the Lord is pleased at this revelation of faith that they're expressing and he wants to magnify his grace by forgiving this paralytic you came for one thing i'm going to give you something else that you need greater i'm going to give you salvation not just new legs but new life the paralysis didn't equate him being a sinner all right the word of faith people teach stuff like that it's a bunch of heresy his 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 body wasn't racked with pain and sorrow because he was such a wicked person. His body was racked with pain and sorrow because we live in a broken world. Because sin and decay affects all of us. But God used the paralysis to bring him to faith in Christ. Which tells me that no matter what your struggle is in life, you have hope in God. He may turn whatever the difficulty is into something that will blow your mind now and forever. Here in this text, we learn that Christ draws sinners by grace and also through the faith of others. He draws them. In other words, he brings them to himself to hear the truth. But it's through those men that Christ was working. Again, they were instruments in his hands. I don't believe they woke up and said, I believe I have a revelation from God. We're going to carry this man to this house and and he's going to be forgiven. But God was working in their hearts, giving them a desire. The Lord will give you the desires of your heart if you are walking in his will. He'll give you the desires of your heart. The desires you need to have, he will give you. And then you will respond and ultimately find that it was the hand of God who was doing all this from the beginning. Jesus responds to these men men as they bring him. He responds with grace. Christ sees their trust in him that drove their actions and it pleased Jesus. He saw their faith. Their actions displayed trust in Christ. The question is, do ours? Do our actions display trust in Christ? Are, are, we, are we coming to people and carrying them to Christ because we actually believe that He can save them? Do we really believe that? Do you believe that you are saved? Do you believe that you did that on your own? Do you believe you had the strength to save yourself? No. Do you believe that Jesus worked through other people to bring you to himself? Yes. He ordains the end and the means to the end. The means is the preaching of the gospel that comes through people. I always find it interesting in Acts when, when Peter, when Peter um, goes and he actually begins to, to deal with this man. And this man is told that actually, Peter, um, an angel... I get an angel said this is going to happen, but the angel said it's going to come through you, a man. The preaching of the gospel is ordained for men, humans, to proclaim. God could use angels. It would be much more eloquent than we are. But he chose men. 
to show forth his greater glory through clay pots. So here, Jesus is pleased at these clay pots who believed and trusted in him, that he could actually help them, that he could actually heal him. He saw their trust, and he was pleased, and he graced, favored their faith with an even greater healing than the one they desired for their friend. You know why he did that? He did that because it pleased him. God's grace was working in all of this to draw this man ultimately to salvation. He was drawing the paralytic to salvation. And it pleased him to see his ambassadors actuate and reveal their faith. And he graced that. He blessed that with giving to this man the pronunciation that his sins were forgiven. The passage is not about the greatness of the paralytic's friend's faith. It's ultimately about the authority and mercy of Jesus to forgive sinners who are incapable of coming to him on their own. Those who are incapable of saving themselves. Look at the last part here in verse 5. He said to the paralytic, my son. That's an interesting phrase. My son. Technon. In the Greek, he said to the paralytic, my child, that's what it says, my child. These are tender words that Jesus chooses. These are grace-filled words. And look, did the paralytic say the sinner's prayer on the way down? Did the paralytic walk the aisle? Did the paralytic do anything to earn this? No. Before the paralytic hits the ground, he says, My child, your sins are forgiven. There's no greater words to hear than that, which the Lord says here to the paralytic. If you're a believer, he has said that to you. Not because of what you did, not because of what you will do. Because it pleased him to save you. It glorified him to rescue you. I believe something happened on the rooftop. As this paralytic was listening to the word of God being preached. It just tells me how powerful the preaching of the word is. I believe something radical and supernatural happened at the hearing of the word. I remember hearing John MacArthur talk about preaching or preparing to preach on a Sunday morning and they do a scripture reading like we do and he got up and he does a scripture reading and later comes to the pulpit to preach and as he's preaching or as he's reading rather the scriptures out of the Psalms a man comes into the back of the church this man was very uh, uh, important in the homosexual movement there in Los Angeles very important leader in that movement and that man came to that church on that Sunday morning because he had been desperate for some kind of answers, some kind of hope, that he was struggling with real issues. He didn't understand that it was sin, but he was really desperate for help. And he came to that church because of the testimony of the church. And he heard this man reading from the Psalms. He didn't know who MacArthur was from anybody. Then MacArthur sits down, comes back, preaches for an hour. And the man comes running down to the front at the end and said, I just wish that the guy who talked last, who read the scripture earlier, would have just stopped after he read the scripture because something happened to me when he was reading the Psalms. I believe I was saved. And then he talked for an hour after I was saved, and I was just wanting him to hurry up so I could come down and tell somebody. There's a testimony here to the power of the preaching of God's word. And listen to this. If the word of God is so powerful that it can actually move the immovable when they hear it because they're drawn irresistibly by God's grace through means, if he can, if he can do that to the lost person, how powerful is his word in our lives as Christians? As the Holy Spirit dwells within us, we have a, we have a resident teacher to explain the text, to apply the text. How much more should our faith now be growing, be revealed as we hear the words of Christ 
that saved our very soul. I think we see that here with these men. I think they were, they were moved in their faith radically. And as a result, this man was brought to Jesus who was healed and he was saved. I think the word of God has that power. I believe that. I believe the word of God has the power to convert and to sanctify. If there is no sanctification in your life as a Christian, if you're not being made more and more like Christ, hating your sin more and more, loving his righteousness and his law and his word more and more, if that's not happening in your life, you need to examine your hearts and to see whether you are in the faith. If you are a Christian, you'll, you'll grow in your faith by having a greater hatred towards sin and a greater love for Christ and righteousness. Here in this last part of the verse, we see that these men brought Jesus or brought to Jesus this man who was paralyzed. They, they lowered him. And as he was being lowered, I believe something, again, just transpired that was supernatural. He was regenerated. And we see the confirmation of his regeneration in Jesus' own words. Your sins are forgiven. He doesn't say your sins will be forgiven. But they are forgiven. Now, this man wasn't asking for his sins to be forgiven. This man didn't carry himself to Jesus to be forgiven. He was irresistibly drawn to this place of forgiveness. Now, People get upset about this irresistible word. I'm going to tell you something. Anyone who is upset with the word irresistible grace or the phrase irresistible grace, I think they've misunderstood the depth of their own sin. See, what happens in, in the drawing of the sinner is even in this case here with the paralyzed man illustrating the sinner, he was painfully aware in his being drawn, his reliance on others, his, his humility. He was painfully aware of his inability and his defilement. And I think as God draws us, first he opens our eyes according to Ephesians 2, 1 to 4. He draws us to see ourselves in light of Christ. He opens our eyes to see the depth of our depravity. Then he says, but God, Right? But God, in mercy, sends Jesus. So, irresistible grace begins with giving us eyes to see our wretchedness. And then, in light of our wretchedness, we see Jesus. Is that not irresistible? What's your choice? I'll stay here in Ephesians 2.1. If God has opened your eyes to see that you are a follower of Satan, a very wretch at your core, and then he says, but God has provided something for you. If you could stay there, you are not converted. But if you see that text and you say, Ephesians 2, 1, it's about Randy Tyler. It's about Darren Jolly. It's about Ronnie Qualls. And, and, and I know it's about me. And I desperately need someone to get me out of Ephesians 2, 1. And verse 4 says there is someone. It was God. He brought me out. He forgave my sins. And in irresistible grace, this is what's happening. It's not that God is grabbing Justin and saying, you're coming, you're mine, buddy. He's just dragging him along all the way to heaven. That's not the way it works. First, he exposes Justin to the depravity of his heart. And he says, you've got nowhere to go but hell. Here's my son. And in sovereign grace, he opens our eyes to see both. It's all of grace. We think it's our choice. We think it's our ability. But when you look at it, you'll see there were people carrying you to Jesus by his sovereign grace. And it was Jesus who opened your eyes to see the depth of your sin. It was Jesus who forgave you by saying to you, a female, forgiven. Your sins are sent away, remitted. They are forgiven ultimately, completely. They are given up. They're gone. That's what Mark 2.5 shows us. It shows us that forgiveness of sin is freely given by the Lord 
Jesus to those he draws to himself. Those who cannot come on their own strength. The paralytic reminds us that our hearts are paralyzed by sin. We're spiritually dead and unable and unwilling to come to Jesus on our own strength. But God drew us by his sovereign grace. He drew us. He exposed our sin. He opens our eyes to see the irresistible glory of Jesus and his cross. Where he paid the penalty for my sins in full. There is nothing more to come. It is done. It is finished. He opens our eyes to see that he intervened. On our behalf, God did for the immovable what he couldn't do for himself. He brought him to Christ. And listen, when when we as Christians think about this, we have to also think about our responsibility in light of being drawn to Christ. We who have been irresistibly drawn to Jesus, we're drawn to him for a purpose. We're drawn, like the four men, to go care for others. We're drawn to go to the immovable around us. We're drawn to go to them and tell them there is hope in Christ's forgiveness. We are to show them and tell them that hope in Christ's forgiveness is what now strengthens us when we are paralyzed by things like disease. That come into our life. The bad news of disease. Will paralyze the world. But in the believers faith in Christ. We know that he will actually use all things. To conform us to the image of Jesus. For our good. And for his glory. And he'll give us strength. Even though we are paralyzed for a time. He'll turn it into something good in our life. Because we have been forgiven. Because he loves us so much. He dies for us. Will he not care for us when we're hurting? He will. Ever think about that? Jesus loves us enough to take our place upon a cross. And sometimes when we're hurting, we think, I I don't want to burden him with this. I've got an illness when I'm sick, when I'm struggling. You know, the love of Christ has no bottom. It is immeasurable. He cares about everything in our lives, physical and spiritual. It is what calls us to have strength when we think about that. And it points to those around us, this is the kind of Christ that we serve. This is the kind of God who healed us spiritually. The immovable all around us can hope in Christ's forgiveness that also releases us from the bonds of hate that we seem to see strangling our country right now. Pray to God that you as a Christian are a light of hope in these present days on this issue. You were hated by God. You were worthy of God's hate. He released you from that hate by sending his son to take your place on a cross to fill his wrath. So now that we have been released from the bonds of our own hatred and our own wickedness, should we not go to those who are feeling hated and care for them? We're set free to do that. No longer paralyzed by hate. The immovable all around us can hope in Christ's forgiveness that also carries us when we are disabled by depression. Christians struggle with depression. It's part of our fallen creaturely condition. We struggle with it. But in Christ, we know that we have one who is bearing our burden. We know that there is one who picks up the weary, who goes to the Peter who fails miserably and runs off and weeps and mourns over his sin and comes to Peter three times and says, feed my sheep, brother. You're mine. My love for you hasn't changed in your failure. Don't be disabled by it. I'm going to carry you through it. The world around us that's immovable, that's, that seems to be trapped in their sins, they see something happening with us when we are strengthened by Christ, when we are released by Christ, when we are being carried by Christ. And that brings him praise. And they see our hope in Christ's forgiveness that sets us free to forgive those who have betrayed us, 
the world scratches its head and says, would you tell me about the hope that lies within you? Because I don't have it. When I'm betrayed, I want vengeance. But you seem to have something other than vengeance in your heart. What has set you free from vengeance which will eat your core? Well, Jesus set me free because I betrayed him. Yet he loved me enough to pay my penalty on the cross and reconcile me to himself so I can forgive others. Those who need hope in Christ, forgiveness, those who are immovable because of their sins, also should see that Christ's forgiveness has shattered the grip of racism that has been wrapped around many people's hearts for many years. And it changes us. It not only shatters the grip, it actually opens our hands so that we can receive those who have felt the effects of racism, so that we can actually seek reconciliation. We can actually be peacemakers in the midst of a world that's full of hate and racism. Listen, racism is beyond deplorable in God's sight. In the church, there is neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female. We are one in Christ. Because we have been forgiven, we should look at this issue of racism so much differently. If anyone needs to speak up today on this issue, it needs to be Christians. We need to be the voice of reason, the voice of reconciliation, because we have been forgiven. Church, we have been carried to Christ by God's grace for this reason. We've been carried by God's grace so that we can carry the hurting that are around us today. Not so that we can point out their sin and blame them and shame them because of their sin and the world's sins. That's not why we have been carried to Christ to see our sins forgiven so that we can be these hypocritical Pharisees pointing out, well, the world's getting what it deserves. No. Praise God we didn't get what we deserve. We're in this sin-infected world to carry the immovable to the irresistible power and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. We're doing that so that God can raise them up, God can forgive their sins, and God can heal sin's infection that is in our land today. That's why we are here as Christians. Why are you here in America as a Christian at this time, in this place? It's so that you can point those who seem to be paralyzed in sin to the only hope there is that's in Christ who can raise them up, who can forgive, and who can heal this land. Church, we are the only voice of reason today. And we have the truth, and we have the one who has authority and mercy to reconcile all these matters. But we're going to have to be active in our faith. We believe in Jesus. It means we must act on what we believe about Jesus so that he would be praised. Ultimately, at the end of the day, that's what we desire most. Let's pray today that God would use us as a church, as Christians, to go into this world that's trapped and paralyzed by sin And seek out the lost and carry them to Christ to watch God do the great work of redeeming them and reconciling sinners to himself. Heavenly Father, we know that only you can save. Lord Jesus, we know that it's through your righteous life, your atoning death and your glorious resurrection that that sinners can experience this great salvation. As you, Holy Spirit, apply this to our hearts and our minds, 
Lord, I pray that it increases our faith, and I pray that as our faith increases, it would be activated, it would be revealed in the way in which we live, in the way in which we act on behalf of those who cannot act on their own. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would activate our faith in such a way that we would eagerly go to those who seem immovable, who seem impossible to reach, knowing that in regards to salvation, that with men it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Give us that kind of faith, God, I pray, so that we would go to this lost world and say there is hope in Christ. Look to Him. Whether they listen to us or not, we know that Your Word doesn't go out void. It goes out for a purpose, the purpose that You have in mind for it, one, to glorify Yourself and to reach and redeem Your people from their sins. We pray that you would do that today. In Jesus' name, amen.